it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Pinkle, I believe it's a big day. It's my birthday. It's my birthday. (laughs) Yeah, I can't believe it. Feeling very old, but very happy. Now, look, what's going on so far today? Because we always record podcasts on our birthdays and you broke into song when it was my birthday. I really no one needs to hear me singing, but I did have chocolate cake at 6.45 in the morning. What's happening at uh, the Pinkoff household? Yeah, Willow baked me some blueberry muffins yesterday with granny, which was very nice. I had them for breakfast this morning and she also wrapped up all her own toys and put them in a bag and gave them to me for my birthday. (laughs) (laughs) That's so sweet. So cute. She also made me a beaded bracelet, which I will be wearing for the Sochi coverage. So keep an eye out for that. Oh, I will. She's made me promise her to wear it on television so that we feel connected whilst I'm away. Oh, Pinkles, it's so sweet. So special, isn't it? And what, any plans for later today? Yeah, so uh, my parents and brother are going to take me out for a pub lunch and then Wilf Willow and my husband are going to take me out for apparently a Nando's. Lucky me. <laughs> this might we, be put it, sh- we put it to popular vote and Nando's won. <laughs> and I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note. Welcome to the F1 Nation podcast with Tom Clarkson and me, Natalie Pinkham. And a little bit later, we'll be hearing from Mr. Russia, a.k.a. Valtteri Bottas, is coming on the show. I feel like from the first year we went to Sochi, I've had found on the rhythm quite quickly and been able to build on that each each year. It's not going to be as, <laughs> as easy this year. Birthdays aside... Pinkle, how have you been since the last race? What have you been up to? Yeah, really good. Just sort of soaking up what's been uh, such a dramatic time in Formula One, hasn't it? I mean, we've had so much to consider and think about. And bits keep coming to me. I don't know about you, but after that Italian weekend, there was so much detail, so many subplots. And, you know, I'd wake up in the middle of the night and go, I hadn't considered that. And, you know, there were things that we perhaps didn't even cover on the podcast that were really strong talking points just because there wasn't enough time. The fact that Valtteri Bottas had arguably his strongest weekend for a very long time and he goes into Sochi, which is very happy hunting ground for him. He could well win this race. Ironic that uh, two strongest races after he's basically been sacked by Mercedes. It's a good point, isn't it? But I was still on a high about three days after that Grand Prix. Just everything that came together. And then I saw Daniel Ricciardo post something on social media of him putting his winner's trophy in the trophy cabinet at McLaren. alongside. I think it was alongside Senna's. It was. I actually got incredibly emotional seeing that. Because you saw how much it meant to him and how in awe he is of it and Senna, as we all are. And yeah, what a moment, what a touching moment. And he was sort of on his own in the boulevard, apart from the person filming. But you know what I mean? It was very touching. It felt like a very private moment that we were invited in to share with him. And I was also thinking about his victory and just the outpouring of love and support from him. 
even from rivals, rival teams, rival fans, his competitors on the grid. It was such a popular win. And I think he's taken a lot of heart from that, you know, that actually people genuinely support him. And a happy, successful Daniel Ricciardo is great for our sport. Yeah, and he's going to have got so much confidence from it that I, I think we're, that's the turning point, isn't it? He talked about the summer break and, and how important that was to sort of recharge and refocus. And then, you know, he was very quick in, in Belgium. He was very quick in, in Zandvoort, gets the win last weekend. And I think, I think he's off now. I agree. Well, I hope so. And also, I think it's really good for Lando because I think he's really got the bit between his teeth. He knows that this car can deliver a victory. So he's going to be hungrier than ever. I think it's just a really important time for McLaren as a team. And for the sport, you know, it really, I don't know, it was a real feel-good story. It was disappointing that the two title contenders took each other out because I think you could have had the feel-good story without that. I think McLaren would have still got a one-two and that would have been great for the sport without, you know, the fallout. I, I, I hate the tension that those two coming together has brought. I know it's brought jeopardy. I know it's brought an element of entertainment, people on the edge of their seats watching the races, but I just don't like to think of neither of them seeing the checkered flag because it's a championship that needs to see it go right down to the wire and based on merit alone, not on an accident that prevents either of them from scoring a point. You talked about subplots a moment ago, and I find it extraordinary that that collision between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen is a subplot. I will look back at the Italian Grand Prix 2021 as Daniel Ricciardo's return to form. I don't think first and foremost of those two coming together. Not the same at Silverstone. My memory of Silverstone is that collision on lap one. Whereas, So it, it's very interesting that that's become a subplot. And I just hope it doesn't happen again and again. And looking ahead to Sochi, of course, this coming weekend. Turn two, as it's called, which is the first breaking point on the lap. Really tight corner. Oh, if those two are on the front of the grid, I mean, well, anyway. But they won't be. I don't think they will be because, you know, not only has Max got this three-place grid penalty, but he will no doubt take the penalty for changing his engine as well. So actually, if anything, they're going to be split up. But you will see a very hungry, determined Max Verstappen fighting his way through the field, which will be thrilling in itself. So, but this is the sport that just keeps on giving in 2021. It's incredible, isn't it? And as you say, for protagonists to be a subplot tells you something about what's going on and just how multi-layered Formula One is right now. And, you know, I got a lot of people coming up to me at the weekend at the Goodwood Revival. That's where oh, I yes. spent my weekend. But how a lot, was well, it? Well, Pinkle, I'll come on to that. But a lot of people coming up to me saying, oh, isn't it a pity that Formula One is changing the rules next year because we've got such an exciting championship? And I, hey, I agree. Who can disagree that this is it is a it is a very exciting championship? But it's a reset for the whole sport, not just from a, a technical point of view. So let's let's hope it's all all very close. But but you know, just on that, how ridiculous that at the beginning of the season we thought oh, this is going to be a holding pattern of a year. This is just bridging the gap uh, between 2020 and 2022, and yet this is the season that's delivered. Most in my memory of the sport, I've been in it for a decade, not as long as you, but I think this is the season that I've enjoyed the most. Pinks, it reminds me of 2012 when we had seven different winners in the opening seven races. And, and you know, that was fantastic. This is fantastic. I know, but you know, 2012 was my first year with Sky F1. And I had been obviously at Five Live the year before, but that was a sort of like under the radar, finding my feet kind of year. 
And when we came into 2012 and it was all, you know, singing or dancing with Sky F1, I thought, oh, well, this is just what you get from Formula One. <laughs> so <laughs> it, set the, it set the bar very high. I thought, yeah. And then when 2013, 14, 15 came along, I thought, hang on a minute, don't we get a different winner at every race? <laughs> <laughs> Certainly got that this year. Um, but hey, Goodwood Revival, Pinks. Have you ever been there? I love Goodwood Revival. It often clashes with my birthday and it often clashes. It's often like my week, one sort of weekend off, if you like, between races. So I, d- I haven't been for a couple of years, but um, I have been before. It's beautiful. It is truly a step back in time. And everyone looks amazing. The cars are stunning. But yeah, tell me everything. Well, so the Goodwood Motor Circuit was used back in the day between 1948 and 1966. So all of the cars that turn up at Goodwood, bar a few, there's a couple of races that are a bit different, but most of the cars have to have been in that period, 48 to 66. And that's such a sort of glamorous era of the sport. And Damon turned up on Saturday and drove Sterling Moss's Lotus 18 that he won the Monaco Grand Prix in, uh, in wow. 1960 and 61. So it's that kind of era of car, the sort of glamorous, uh, really exciting time for the sport. Lots of innovation coming through. And then, of course, all of the people present, which you'll know if you've been there, were all dressed up in 50s and 60s garb. And it's Everyone buys into it. If you're, if you're not in period clothing, you stand out like a sore thumb. So everyone, it's just a real festival atmosphere. And what I find fascinating as well is the number of Formula One people that turn up. They love it. So from contemporary Formula One, Jean Todd, FIA president, he turned up on Sunday. Ross Braun was there on Sunday as well. And then, of course, you've got the champions that turn up pretty much every year. Jackie Stewart is a regular there, of course. And But then we had two newcomers this year. Jean-Éric Verne was there for the first time, who uh, was in Formula One between 2012 and 2014 with Toro Rosso. And then Jensen, our good friend Jensen, uh, was racing there for the first time. And Pinks, it was hilarious seeing his journey through the weekend. He was so excited beforehand. And I saw him just before he went out to practice the first time and he was really excited and said look it's just a bit of fun and da, da, da. and he was in an e-type jaguar and then oh, i saw him after that it. jensen was like oh we're just not quick enough we've got to think about how we can what we can do to the car and, and it's sort of you just can't take the competitive nature out of these guys but jensen was mega he was really mega brilliant what a weekend yeah yeah and he was quick he also drove an ac cobra and um he drove it beautifully and had a really good dice with Martin Brundle's son actually Alex Brundle uh, in in the tourist trophy race on Sunday afternoon and I said to Alex great dice with Jensen and he said yeah it wasn't long enough uh, sadly because the Cobra was was the faster of Alex was in a in a Jag and the Cobra was faster but he said god I did see Jensen driving it and he he drives absolutely beautifully so although Jensen hasn't been in Formula One a few years he can still do it love it For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Grainger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Grainger. For the ones who get it done. (laughs) 
What else has happened since we last spoke? Well, Aston Martin have uh, confirmed their lineup for next year, which no real surprises there. Sebastian Vettel and Lance Stroll retaining their seats at the team. Do you think they're a good combination? I think they're a great combination. There were quite a few rumours going around in, in Monza, weren't there, about whether Vettel was going to continue. I had it from someone very close to him that he wants to continue driving and that they were just having a, a discussions about details in the contract, like number of sponsor days, things like that. And I think as drivers get longer in the tooth, they want to do fewer and fewer sponsor days, don't they? Well, you can't blame them, can you? I, th- I think when you start out, you're so hungry and determined and you sort of, you're more of a yes man, aren't you? But as you say, experienced and, and every sponsor day takes away from family time, which is very important to Sebastian. His best result this year, obviously, Baku, P2. But it feels like a bit of um, a roller coaster season, if you like, doesn't it? It doesn't feel as if there's been gradual momentum that's been building, a trajectory that's always been upwards. It feels that they've made a few steps forward and then a couple back each time. What do you think? Well, Pinks, if they'd kept that second position from Hungary, which, of course, he was he was disqualified from that race for not having enough fuel in the car at the end. But I think if we'd kept that, that sort of momentum you're talking about would be a little bit more obvious to see. But the thing I'm most happy about is I love having Sebastian in the paddock. He, he's a yeah. he's what I call one of the grown-ups. I love talking to him. I love interviewing him. I think he's interesting. I think he's interested. He's one of the few guys there who will actually ask about how, how you are and, and how the family is and things like that. So I love having him around and, and I'm sure you're the same. I agree. I love his moral compass. I feel that he has got real depth to his personality. He really cares about the social, political issues. I love his stance on LGBTQ. I think that it's kind of rare to have a heterosexual sportsman who's prepared to be that vocal about minority groups and to speak up for the gay community. He did a lovely podcast on it with Matt Bishop. And I love that he uses his platform. I mean, we know Lewis does, but Sebastian does as well. And he also there's a few things off the radar. You know, we know that he cares about the environment and about bees. He's a beekeeper. But yeah, I don't know. I just think he brings a lot to the sport. And generally, he's a very likable guy. He's not flash. He's not a show off. You know, when he walks through the airport with his hood up and his backpack on, you know, he almost goes unnoticed. He doesn't have a big entourage. He doesn't make a big fuss. He just gets on with it, but genuinely cares. And I think that's uh, that's really important, a really important role model for young people growing up. Um, Incidentally, do you consider yourself one of the grown-ups, TC? No, hundred <laughs> percent not. Please be clarify that. <laughs> what I mean by one of the grown-ups is that he can talk about things other than Formula One. Absolutely. Talking about his green credentials, those triple header races are tiring, right? I don't care what anyone says. And between Zandvoort and Monza, we sort of all dragged ourselves from one racetrack to another. Not Seb. Seb flew to Iceland to the opening of a carbon capture unit. I I can't tell you more than that other than it was something to do with carbon capture. And he flew to Iceland to see what it was, to ask questions, to find out more. And I thought that was fascinating, actually, that he took the time out to do that when most people are in just recuperation mode you know between the two races Seb was flat out on it so good on him and actually I'm very excited because I've got a top secret mission with the Aston Martin drivers tomorrow at Silverstone watch this space 
more will be revealed. Hang on. You can't leave that hanging, Pink. So I'm afraid I'm going to have to. Well, tell me more. You can't tell me anything. Well, I could tell you, but I'd have to kill you. Oh, so it's Bond. It's Bond. Hey, are you going to get to drive a DB5? That's all I want to know. <laughs> That's all I... Don't tell me anything else. Do you really think that they would trust me? <laughs> when you see what I did to Kimmy's car on the ice, <laughs> no one will never trust me to drive again. <laughs> Hang on. Actually, yes. Pinks and Kimmy, uh, where can people find that on, on YouTube? What do they need to put in? Because that's funny. I think it's just Kimmy Raikkonen ice racing Moscow or something. And he, he laughed his head off, didn't he? It is the first time I've ever heard him properly belly laugh. And I thought, oh, great. So I have to smash my car, your car up <laughs> and potentially injure us both to get a chuckle out of you. Great. <laughs> it tells me a lot about him. <laughs> it was funny, though. And of course, talking about Kimmy... Uh, that's a nice segue you've done there, Pinks, because, of course, the only seat left in Formula One for 2022 is that second alpha seat because Bottas is replacing Kimi. What's your latest, by the way? What are you hearing? Well, I'm hearing that the favourite is Guan Yu Zhou because he is proving his pace and he comes with a big chunk of cash and apparently is absolutely on the shortest of shortlists. Yeah, well, he's second in the Formula 2 championship at the minute. Um, and it's a really good quality field in Formula 2 this year as well. And actually, that's really exciting for Formula 1 to have a Chinese driver on the grid. I mean, the potential is huge on so many levels, isn't it? He has got a wonderful backstory as well about coming to the UK and living up north on his own when he was very young, a young teenager. Graham Loudon was telling me, in fact, you need to get him on Beyond the Grid. Graham? Or, or Gwen? No. No, Gwen Yu Joe, to tell his story. Early next year, if he gets the drive. Gwen Yu, if you're listening. Yeah. And Graham Loudon of Manor F1 fame. Yeah. What's his association with Gwen Yu? He manages him, I think. But occasionally, Gwen Yu Joe speaks with a little northern twang, <laughs> <laughs> which I love. Yeah, he's a very likeable chap, actually. I, um, I hope he does well. Yeah, I mean, he's been in Formula 2 for a while, but he's absolutely bang on the pace now. He's as quick as any of the young hot shoes this year. You know, Oscar Piastri, last year's Formula 3 champion, currently leading the championship, but it's nip and tuck between uh, Oscar and Guan Yu. And the other one who is in the running is Theo Pocher, the very young driver. He's only like 17, isn't he? Uh, uh, yes, and he's on the Sauber Academy. This all exactly. points to Alpha again. Your yeah. segues today are absolutely brilliant. Completely coincidental. <laughs> <laughs> Teo is, he's fantastic and he's got star quality. I mean, you've interviewed him a few times, Pinks. I know yeah, that. he's great. But you know what? I'm also a real fan of Antonio Giovinazzi. I, I feel like he's a bit of an unsung hero. He has got real personality that I don't think really has been explored to the same extent. And look look at his qualifying in both Zanville and Monza. Okay, he didn't have as strong a races, but he's proved that he's hungry and he's got it. And I'm told that Italian officials are calling on the Italian government to support him because they want an Italian to line up on the grid next year. And there's a big push to keep him in the sport. Whether it will be enough, I don't know. I mean, his qualifying in general this year has been really good. He's done Kimi Raikkonen pretty much at every race, but it just hasn't quite been enough, has it? How good is the car, though? Pinks, I wonder what sort of environment Antonio needs to perform at his best, because Fred Vasseur, the team principal there, 
talks very openly about he, how he likes to put drivers under pressure. Mm. And I wonder whether Antonio perhaps needs more of a less pressured environment, more of a sort of family Williams type affair. Interesting. Whether it's carrot versus stick. Yeah. Because everyone's different. I'm also intrigued as to how much the overhaul in technical regulations plays a part. How much of a consideration is it in selecting next year's drivers? You know, is it a good thing to be bringing in someone as young as Pocher? Or is it a level playing field? And actually, in many ways, bring in the young drivers because the pecking order will be leveled out somewhat. Or do you need... Antonio Giovinazzi and Valtteri Bottas so that you've got a lot of experience there to take on these new regulations. I think you need one experienced driver because it is such a reset next year. The team, we're talking about Alpha, they're going to have that with Valtteri. Not only has Valtteri done, what is it, 170 odd starts, he's now got so much experience inside the best team in Formula One. He's taking all of that Mercedes know-how with him to Alpha. So he's crucial to that team next year. And I think alongside him, you could put a rookie. You could put a Teo Porche, who is really quick. You could put a, a Guan Yu Joe. And I think, unfortunately for Antonio, I, I, I would imagine that's all in the thinking as well in terms of who they partner Valtteri with. So it might be tough, but I, I think Antonio will stay with the team. They'll continue to be in association with Alfa Romeo as a third driver, reserve driver. He might do a bit of testing, I would have thought, at various points in the year as well. he'll They've just got their simulator up and running. They're better late than never, guys, but they've got it up and running in, in Hinville now. So he'll be doing a lot of time on that if he hasn't got the race seat. So I hope he's still very much involved. Well, also, TC, as Alex Albon proves, you can make comebacks. It would have been a massive sucker punch to him to lose that Red Bull seat. But, you know, he's back in the sport now at Williams. So even if Antonio does have to take potentially a year out, it doesn't mean it's career over, which is great. And I was intrigued, actually, by Alex, because even though he's gone to Williams, Red Bull still have an option on him for the following year. Yeah. How did they manage that? It's interesting, isn't it? That's what Toto Wolff was very unhappy about. And at Zanvoort, he was saying, look, I don't want to stand in the way of Alex Albon, but I would rather he severed his links with Red Bull because we don't want all of our Mercedes power unit secrets going back to Red Bull and Red Bull powertrains as is going to be next year. And it's interesting that in Monza, both Toto Wolff and Jos Capito, the boss at Williams, were saying, no, no, he is 100% a Williams driver next year. He won't be taking any secrets back to Red Bull. And then since that race, as you say, it's all come out that, no, no, he's actually on a bungee back to Red Bull for 2023. So if, for whatever reason, Checo Perez doesn't get it together next year, I think there's a serious chance that we could see Alex Albon back in a Red Bull in 2023. Now, another thing I know we've both done since we last spoke, TC, is watch the Netflix documentary Schumacher. 100% perfection. I couldn't live with anything lower. He wanted to do something that, you know, hadn't been done by Prost, hadn't been done by Senna, hadn't been done by any of the drivers in, in recent history. So I kind of love over here. I got such a strong impression of how hard Michael was willing to work. And that transformed the team. And what Schumacher achieved was absolutely incredible. So what did you make of it? 
I loved it because it took me back to when I first sort of got involved in Formula One and some of the footage I hadn't seen before of, of him in the Jordan in, at Spa in 91 and then winning his first race at Spa in 92. There were some camera angles there. So all of that I loved. And we also, I thought, saw the human side of Michael Schumacher that wasn't so evident during his active career. So those were my sort of first impressions. How about you? I love the authenticity and depth of his relationship with his wife. It really struck me just how much they smiled together. Every single shot, they were just beaming, clearly deeply in love. And I loved the bit where she said, and you know, he was so considerate because he would creep out in the morning and not wake me up. I'm thinking, hang on a minute. That's a given. If Wiggy ever dares wake me up when he leaves, <laughs> gets a clip around the ear. But I just loved how grateful she is for her husband. And clearly they met before he was this global icon. They just lived a very happy, contented life together. You know, they, they clearly are soulmates. I suppose I didn't really know how multi-layered his personality is. So, you know, we know that He's a very determined, competitive guy, you know, fiercely so. But yet I didn't really know the extent of his shyness, self-doubt, the sort of suspicious side of his nature, which he touched on, but also how deeply empathetic he is as a person, because he's clearly loving. And I had actually never seen the footage of him crying in that press conference when he was talking about matching Senna's record for race wins. And what he was clearly able to do was compartmentalize and almost sort of have a dual personality in a way. You know, when he was out on track, he's a very different person to the one away from it. Clearly adores his family, intensely private and protective. Uh, her quote when she said, Michael always protected us and now we're protecting Michael mm. really moved me. But I think actually the standout quote for me was from Mick when he said, how much he kind of craved his dad's advice right now and wasn't able to get it. And when he said, we would just understand each other in a different way. And we have so much to talk about. I mean, that really, really hit a nerve because that's all really a son wants from their father, a child from their parent is advice, particularly at a time in his life when he's embarking on a career in Formula One. I mean, who better than to put their arm around you than Michael Schumacher, who also happens to be your father. So it was deeply tragic. All of the, the home video footage of his early years. I love that as well, particularly from his karting and actually talking, Pink's talking about his determination. There was a clip, I think it was from the Karting World Championships, in which the interviewer says to Michael, why are you racing under a Luxembourg license? And he says, because if I was racing under a German license, it's more expensive and if I lose, I then won't get the opportunity to race because there'll be other people to take my place. Whereas he was the only person racing under a Luxembourg license, which was cheaper and guaranteed him a place in the world championships. And mm. that sort of dedication and focus to get where he wanted to go was so evident even at that stage in his career. So hugely impressive man. And I, as, as I mentioned a minute ago, seeing the softer side of him because mm. I only ever saw the, the racer's edge when he was in Formula One and that was the person who would stop at nothing really to get where he wanted to go and they, I thought they dealt with Adelaide 94 
and Hereth 97, the two sort of infamous collisions with Damon Hill and Jacques Villeneuve. I thought they dealt with those very objectively, speaking to Damon about Adelaide, speaking to Ross Braun about Hereth, and Ross actually saying, I think Michael got it wrong that day. I mean, there was an omission of Monaco 2006. There was no mention of that when he parked it in qualifying. Good point. So that was an omission. And I would love to have heard from Felipe Massa, who was his teammate at Ferrari and great friend, Ditto, maybe Rubens Barrichello. So there were a few more people. I wonder why we didn't. Yeah, Yeah. I don't know. Interesting. Back to the karting days. I loved how they used to sort of scavenge for parts and always race in the wet on slicks. I mean, how smart is that? You know, learn your craft the hard way and then it will pay dividends for years to come. I also love the quote from Ralph who said, and I oh, I don't want to do him a disservice by misquoting it, but it was along the lines of rich kids are actually poor because they don't get the quality time with their parents. And How lucky were we to just spend every weekend with our mum and dad? And I, I don't know, I, I love seeing that side of their lives. It was wonderful. But yeah, just left you with a with a heavy heart because of course they do still have Michael, but it's just very different now. And that's what Corinna said at the end, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And how agonizingly close he was to not even going on that ill-fated ski trip, you know? Oh, because Michael suggested that they went skydiving in Dubai, didn't he? You can't live like that, though, can you? Pinks. Yeah. Did you spot my cameo? You in the movie? Are you telling me now? <laughs> I'm telling How you now. How did I not see you? I saw loads of I saw loads of journalist mates, including Kai Abel, yes, a very Kai, young guy, in Adelaide '94, and and yeah. Matthias Brunner as well. But no, hey, Pinks. As cameos go, it's impossible to have a smaller part. But at one point, he is going up in a plane to skydive above the Palm in yes, yes, in Dubai, and there's other people in the plane about yes. to jump out, and I'm one of them. No. Yes. Oh, TC, I can't. All right, I'm going to go and watch it again. No, it's you need. It's about half a second's worth of, of me in the back. I don't care. It's you. I don't care. I'm going to go and freeze frame it, <laughs> photograph it, keep it that forever. But you know, it was so. I was doing a story with Timo Glock actually, and Timo and Michael are very close. So the story was we're going to go and jump out of a plane. I can't remember why, but anyway, it was brilliant. Anyone who's done the same, a tandem skydive, great fun. But Michael sort of jumps in and he really was a daredevil because we climb up to 14,000 feet and Michael's first to jump out and he just climbs out of the door and just clings onto the outside of the plane. And he sort of waves at us and he's sort of look, holding on with one hand. Oh, two, oh and almost fell off there. Hold on with two hands again. Whoa. Just mucking around. And then he then lets go and free falls for a bit. And we all jump out after him. We get to the bottom and Michael is already taking his parachute off and putting another one back on so that he can. And he just gets the next plane back up. And he did like 10 jumps, 10 jumps in a day. Yeah, that's that's what Karina said as well, wasn't it? That's what she said. It wouldn't just be one jump. He had to keep going again and again and again. Yeah. Obviously, you get that hit. Yeah. yeah. My my sort of first experience of Michael Schumacher was in Australia, 2011. And it was my very first race for BBC Five Live. And uh, he crashed out, I'm sure. I need to go look on Google, but as to remind myself what happened. And I re- just remember um, Mark Webber had said to me before, now there's going to be a massive scrum around each of the drivers, particularly if someone crashes out. And he, and Mark even said, particularly if it's someone like Michael Schumacher, 
So you need to really get your elbows out and you need to go for it because you just won't stand any chance. And of course, I, I, I was too shy to, to really get in the mix. But I remember my producer saying, we're going to throw to you in five seconds. And as I was standing in front of Michael Schumacher, you know, the great Michael Schumacher was right in front of me. And this is my first ever race in Formula One. And I put my hand out and I touched his forearm because I don't know why. I just reached out and touched him as if to say, oh, they're coming to us now. And I held his arm and he sort of looked down at my hand on his arm as if to say, why are you holding my arm? And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I just sort of, I don't know, I was kind of squeezing his arm. And one of the other journalists said to me, never touch Michael Schumacher. I said, oh, really? I, do you know, honestly, I, I didn't even know I'd done it. It was just sort of an instinctive thing. I'm quite tactile as a person. But in that moment, he looked back up and smiled. And it was a lovely moment in a way that we connected. And so I actually don't think any kind of touch is wasted. <laughs> Hug and be hugged is what I say in life. But that came across in, in, in the film as well, didn't it? Of how, how his sort of comeback with Mercedes from 2010 to 2012 was different. And I think he even admitted, didn't he, that it no longer meant as much to him as it did first time around. And that's really why he then ended up stopping mm. at the end of 2012, because suddenly his family was more important. What you say, the love for his family really came through in the whole thing. So anyway, catch it on Netflix. It came out on September the 15th and uh, it's well worth a watch. Absolutely. And next up is Sochi. Now, I'm interested to hear what you think about Sochi. Of course, the race is going to move to St. Petersburg from 2023 onwards. So we've got two more races here in the seaside town, the Black Sea, which is, is an intriguing setup. It's one that I know the fans have sort of split over in terms of overtaking opportunities and how much of a show it can really put on. But I mean, we said the same about Paul Ricard and look what happened there. We can still get excitement. What I want to know from you, TC, is... Why is it such a Mercedes stronghold? And do these things become a self-fulfilling prophecy? So in other words, they've always won there, so they will always win there. They go there with a certain spring in their step and a belief that they'll secure the top step once again, because they have never lost since the inaugural race there in 2014. Well, Natasha. Natasha. <laughs> we need to explain that quickly. Well, uh, yes. Uh, so Danny Kvyat calls me Natasha because uh, apparently there aren't Natalies in Russia. I've had some interesting Russian experiences, uh, one of them being in 2014 when I was pregnant with Wilfred. I obviously had a bit of a bump and I turned up at security to walk into the track and the security guard said to me, remove your top. And I said, I beg your pardon. He went, remove your top. I said, I'm pregnant. Beg your pardon. Pregnant, and he said, "Prove it." He actually thought I was smuggling under <laughs> my top, <laughs> and then I got the red mist because he reached forward to lift up my top, and I got uh, the first hit of red mist as a mother. I went, "Get your hands off my baby!" <laughs> I don't know why I went Cockney, but I did. <laughs> oh, Natasha, Natasha, uh... that's a great story. I mean, hey. It's it's a great venue alongside the Black Sea, the highest tea plantation in the world as well. Oh, did not know that. But look, in answer to your question about it being a Mercedes stronghold, I think for years it's a real horsepower track. And I think for years that helped them. Um, 
Last year, Max Verstappen put it in the mix a little bit. Yes, they still won. Um, Valtteri, of course, um, to whom it may concern. And I think they will still be very, very strong. It's it's not the most interesting track, I think, for, for the drivers, certainly, because it's a lot of 90 degree corners linked by long straights. And so, yes, the straights have helped Mercedes in the past, but that slippery Red Bull, and we hear it every race now, Lewis telling us all how much progress Honda have made with their power unit this year. So I don't think it's going to be anything like as straightforward for Merck this year. But is it that self-fulfilling prophecy? Do you think you mentioned earlier in the pod that Max has got that three place penalty and they might just do it all now, take the power unit change. And I think without Max at the front, then I can't see um, anyone else getting close. McLaren is slippery, but I don't think they're going to challenge Mercedes for the win. How about you? They say it's the fourth longest on the calendar, Spa, Baku and Silverstone. Where does Jeddah fit into that list? No, well, no they must be the fifth now because Jeddah, yeah. Jeddah is, I think, the second longest now, isn't it? Which we obviously haven't been to yet, but it's on the calendar for this year. So that's interesting. And uh, it does, of course, run around that former Olympic complex. So it makes it look quite cool, I always think. It's where they hosted the 2014 Winter Olympics. One question, the circuit width, is between 13 and 15 metres. God, listen to you, Pinks. This... Which seems wide. How do you remember all this stuff? This is amazing. Uh, I've just been a total keynote. Yeah, the track width. But this, is what, but this is what I want to understand. So given the width of this track, why isn't there more overtaking? Well, we get a lot of safety cars, don't we? And why is that? Because they all keep crashing into each other. And I think the best overtaking point on the lap is into turn two, which is a very tight right-hander. So yes, of course, it, the track is very wide, allows them all to go three abreast if they want to, but then you've all it all concertinas right, down, right, doesn't yeah. it? And you're kind of left with a right-left that's not massively dissimilar to the first chicane at Monza. And we saw what happened there two weeks ago, didn't we? So that's the main reason, I think, for the safety cars. But... Um, it sort of takes two to tango to overtake in Sochi. It depends how long the DRS zone is there, I think, going into turn one. If they start it early enough, maybe you can get the pass done before the braking zone. But if you're relying on getting it done as you hit the brakes into turn one, then it can all get a bit a bit dicey, can't it? I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. But also, it's, it's not a great race for pit stops and strategy because it's uh, one of the longest pit deltas of the year. I think the pit lane loss is sort of... 25 seconds and that's assuming that everyone does decent pit stops which they didn't in Monza of course but so that sort of pushes everyone towards a one stop so it's sort of quite conservative strategies and if you want to make progress you're invariably going to have to do it on the racetrack but why don't we hear pinks from the guy who won last year's race and won his first ever Grand Prix in Sochi I think we can call him a Sochi specialist it's Valtteri Bottas for the first time ever Valtteri Bottas wins the Grand Prix it's Bottas who takes it in Russia yes brilliant well done <laughs> really took quite a while huh? more than eight races hey Valtteri it's great to see you now Sochi it's historically a Mercedes stronghold how confident are you going into the race this weekend I'm always confident in going to Sochi you know it's been good track normally for me in terms of results got a couple of wins there and um, yeah always been good there so as a team we've been strong but things are definitely different this year you know it's not guaranteed we're going to be leading the way 
there is going to be definitely competition from Red Bull at least, and even McLaren, uh, Ferrari being being pretty close. So it's not going to be an easy weekend, but of course I'm I'm looking forward to it. Let's look back at the last seven years. As a team, you haven't lost in Sochi. What is it about the track that suits the car and, and vice versa? Normally, our car has been pretty efficient. You know, there's some decent straights there and then quite a lot of medium-speed corners, and that's been always good for, for our car. And as a, as a driver, you can definitely make a difference as well. I feel like from the first year we went to Sochi, I've had found, found the rhythm quite quickly and been able to build on that each, each year. So... I don't know, but um, like I said, it's not going to be as <laughs> as easy this year. You genuinely think that, that Red Bull and McLaren will challenge? Yeah, yeah definitely. They will. And uh, that's exciting. What about the track itself? There's that long horseshoe left-hander at turn three. Is it even a corner in your mind or is it easy flat? It is easy flat, but it is a corner. You know, it's long. There's long duration of G-force and in the race, more, more so, you know, with, with high fuel, a bit worn tyres. Uh, you start to have a bit more slip angle. But in, in qualifying, you know, it, it is high speed and it's cool, but it's, it's flat out. And, and the rest of the lap, I hear a lot of people say that it's just 90 degree corner here, 90 degree corner there. Is it that challenging? On that track, you need to be really precise. You know, the, the braking points, the, the turning points, how you take the curb. It's all about precision. To make a difference to your teammate is always about, you know, a few hundreds or thousands here and there. So... It is challenging. And, and the last sector is a bit more technical. You know, there's a bit of, of camber in some of the corners and, you know, chicanes and a bit more slow speed content. So as a track, yeah, it, it is definitely challenging. And memories, Faltry, of your first Formula One win back in 2017. You never forget your first time, right? No, you never, never <laughs> forget it, definitely. And uh, yeah, it was amazing, amazing experience and, and win. And also, was it last year? One there. Yeah, 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 last year, absolutely. At Sochi, where he won his first Grand Prix, it's win number nine in Formula One for Valtteri Bottas, who hits back in the Drivers' Championship. Get in there! Yes! <laughs> yeah! I think, again, it's a nice moment to thank my critics, to whom it may concern you. Hey, is it something of a home race for you? Is it as close as you get to a home race? I don't think so. Sochi is still, you know, it's not really on the border of Finland, even though it's a neighbour country for Finland. And uh, to be honest, I've only really been in Russia in Sochi. I wouldn't say it's a home race, obviously. Yeah, it's a neighbouring country with the, with the borders, but uh, I would say that's about all. Ah, so fast forward to 2023 and Igora Drive in St. Petersburg, and that is going to be a real home race. That's going to be actually really close. It, I think from where I'm from, it would be only like two, three hour drive with, with a car. So, um, yeah, and I, I'm pretty positive we will see many fins there. So uh, that should be nice, you know, something new and should be an exciting Grand Prix, definitely in St. Petersburg. Yeah, it's going to be great. Natalie can't join us today. She's busy at the National Television Awards, would you believe it? But she has a question, and it's this. How much are you looking forward to leading a team next year and moulding it around you? And of course, she's referring to you being at Alfa Romeo. I'm looking forward to it a lot. Uh, it's it's going to be, for sure, quite different to what I'm used to in the, in the last five years. And no doubt that there's going to be work to do in the, in the team to try and get better results than what they're having this year. But that's the excitement. And, you know, once, when, and eventually we, we get there, positions we want to get, it's going to be 
really rewarding. And having a bit more responsibility, I'm definitely, you know, ready for it and trying to guide the team the best I can, you know, with the years I've learned in, in Formula One. It's crazy that next year already is going to be my 10th season in Formula One. Ah, you're an old boy. You're an old boy. You're part of the establishment now. Exactly. So, but it's going to be nice to put my experience to, you know, good, good use and in, in a new environment. So I'm really looking forward to it. Have you been to Hinville yet? I haven't, not yet, no. Amazing facilities there. Have you ever got close to them before? You know, when you were at Williams, did you ever negotiate with the team about going there? To be honest, never, never was in negotiations with them before. And it's only recently, in the last few years, that uh, Fred Vassar has, has taken more responsibility and kind of being the boss over there. And I know Fred from my Formula 3 days and GB3 raced for, for his team. So we achieved some some nice things in the past. So hopefully we can do that in, in the future. What are you going to miss about Mercedes and about your teammate of the last five years, Lewis Hamilton? About Mercedes, obviously many, many people I've become friends with and we've spent so much time together in the last last five years, you know, in, in the races and at, at the factory. So many, many personnel for sure. And of course, you know, the, the memories I've, I've built with the team, being able to be part of four uh, constructors' titles together and hopefully a fifth one. And the wins, you know, the, all the amount of podiums, balls I've got with, with the team, uh, all those moments definitely will will miss. And same thing with Lewis. It's been an absolute pleasure and a real honor working with Lewis um, alongside. And we've been able to work as a team really, really nicely and we have good respect. So, um yeah, he's been an awesome, awesome teammate, and uh, I've learned a lot from him. So, but I've got no doubt he's gonna, he's gonna do well in the future. So, how would you say that your relationship with Lewis has evolved over the years? Can we even call him a friend? Are you, are you ever a friend with a rival? No, you know, I, I can definitely say that we are friends. You know, it's, um, it's really just such a good respect both ways. So, of course, we are racing each other, but. Um, we are very much a team. And if you look at the past few years, name a better team. <laughs> you know, we've accomplished quite, quite a few things. <laughs> I can't. I can't. Another good thing about Alfa Romeo is decent road cars. You're going to get a good company car. What, Stelvio? Um, I've been looking at some some already. Uh, I still need to figure out what it is exactly. But, you know, they have some of those um, bit more powerful ones that actually is a, is a nice brand. It's a nice brand with actually... A lot of history as well in, in motorsports. So uh, it's, it's going to be interesting. Well, look, really good luck with it. And good luck this weekend in Russia as well. Bring it home. Thank you. We'll do. Valtteri, thanks a lot. Cheers. Well, I thought that was a lovely chat with Valtteri. Do you know what? And it's quite interesting now that he's future is secured and clear that maybe we're just going to see the very best of Valtteri Bottas for the remainder of this season. I mean, he had a great race in Italy. He's he's due for another strong one in Russia. And you might see sort of the shackles are off now. He can relax. He's got nothing to prove. The frustration and tension, if you like, of not knowing what was going to happen is over. And I think he's genuinely excited about yeah. leading Alfa Romeo. He said, I'm so he ready for that challenge. Yeah, brilliant. And there is no guarantee that Mercedes are going to have the best car next year. Alfa have some very strong people back at base, uh, at Sauber in Hinville. Their facilities are amazing. Their wind tunnel is second to none. They've got some good people. 
There's a lot to be excited about there. Yeah, it's great. Well, I'm with Valtteri every day of the week after speaking to him there, Pinks. I think he's going to win, unless, of course, he gets asked. I think he might be asked to move aside for his teammate. But but on pace alone, I think Valtteri's going to be the man. How about you? Yeah, but hang on a minute. He's not going to be allowed to win. Yeah, yeah, no. Of course he's not. But he'll be quick. I think he'll he'll be on pole. Of course he'll be quick. You know, and I get it. Of course they have to work as a team for Lewis's sake for the championship. But I already feel a bit frustrated at that because I hate a driver ever having to make way for his teammate. Hey, if you were Valtteri yeah. and you're winning the race, yeah. Lewis is second and you get the call, what do you do? Do you move over? Look, he has just said what great teammates they are. I love the way he talked about Lewis. An honour and a privilege to have raced with him. Definitely say that we are friends, is what he said. And yeah. You hold position, win the race. <laughs> no, because <laughs> <laughs> no, Pinks, the reason I asked that is Mika Salo back in Germany 1999 was leading Eddie Irvine and he got the call and yeah. he moved over and let Eddie Irvine win the race. And Mika will tell you now that it's the biggest regret of his Formula One career because he's never won a Grand Prix. And that was his opportunity. It's not the same for Valtteri, of course. No. He's won Grand Prix, but... It's not, I don't think, cut and dried no. that he's going to give way. What are you going to do? Sack me? Oh, hang on. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a very good point. Go on then. Who's going to win? Who, who do you think is going to win? Well, I think Lewis will win. And I think Red Bull will put up a really good fight. And I think you, you will get a McLaren on the other step on the podium. So I think it's going to be a Mercedes Red Bull McLaren podium. But maybe not in that order. I hate making predictions, Tom Larson. <laughs> All we know for sure is that Natalie is going to be wearing her daughter's <laughs> bracelet on the telly box this weekend. Oh. So look out for it. Hang on, you haven't given your prediction yet. You don't get away with that. No, I said Valtteri. I said Valtteri. Yeah, what about the other two steps? Oh, okay. Well, I'm only interested in the winner. Um, so I think Valtteri is going to win. I think he's going to ignore team orders. Brilliant. And we're going to have controversy because Lewis is going to be saying, come on, man, why didn't you let me through? Lewis will be second. And I think the rejuvenated Daniel Ricciardo is going to be hot on their heels in third place. Very good. Oh, what a lovely way to spend my birthday morning. <laughs> I've really enjoyed it. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> now head to the pub. Well, actually, first off, it's a COVID test in order to get into Russia. So... COVID test number 378. Yeah, well, such is our lives. Damon is back next week. Woohoo! So make sure you get your questions in for him. Send us your voice notes. AskDamonHill at gmail.com. Make them really tricky. The trickier, the better. Put the champ under pressure. Well, on that note, Pinks, F1 Nation is brought to you by Formula One in association with Audioboom. Nailed it. See ya. <laughs>